0: You are listening to the Catholic Thinkers podcast, a free treasury of instruction in the Catholic intellectual tradition. If you enjoy this lecture, please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate. Welcome to lesson four of our study of an introduction to John Paul II and Redemptor Hominess. Today, and in this lesson, I would like us to consider John Paul II as a priest, we have previously noted these alliterative names that John Paul II is Polish, a poet, a philosopher, a man of prayer, and now, yes, a priest. And I have a little diagram that I would consider that undergirding all of John Paul II's vocation is prayer. That will come up repeatedly. He was a mystic and a man of action, a man of deep prayer. Under that, I would have that Polish culture and heritage which sustained him. And then in his personal call, we have seen he is a poet and a philosopher, great achievements Singly by themselves they would be, but in this great man he really excelled in both. But as if a pyramid, I would put the call to the priesthood at the top of his vocation. And so you see we have the priesthood is really the defining mark of John Paul II. So even as bishop and pope, He saw his role still, essentially, as priest, called to some governance, of course, of the church at the diocese and then the universal church. But he he was and remained a priest in the depth of his soul. And that's what we must cover. The call of an actor from Krakow. He wrote a book, which is recommended for students in this course, or who would want to come to know John Paul II at the outset, is Read Gift and Mystery. It is a short book, an autobiographical book, written on the occasion of his 50th anniversary of priesthood. It's a beautiful book done with some drawings and illustrations of his life in Krakow, and a great meditation upon vocation and the value of priesthood. In Gift and Mystery John Paul II goes through the influences on his life, the development of his vocation, his explanation of what a priest essentially is, the ministry that he undertook as a priest in Poland, and his vision for Priests for the New Millennium. It's a wonderful book. He begins talking about the mystery of vocation, that vocation is a mystery, that theme we saw brought out through his letter to artists, the importance of a person to be patient with the mystery of their life, that it's not simply a problem to be solved, a mystery to be lived, And so he reflects on some scripture passages, John 15, 16, for an example, where the Lord said, I have called you, I have called you to bear fruit. He also was struck by the image of the good shepherd, that Christ is the good shepherd and a priest is called to assist and be another Christ as a good shepherd to the flock. And a third text he was drawn to is John 15, 9, to abide in my love. John Paul II drew upon that life of prayer that he had developed to abide in the love of Christ. And he said, along the path of his vocation, again, he was very outstanding, outstanding as an actor, quite popular with people and in his relationships. But he said he began developing a detachment from the world. As much as he loved theater, a detachment from theater. And he had moments of illumination. I would just like to read one of those from Gift and Mystery. He says, A light was beginning to shine ever more brightly in the back of my mind. The Lord wants me to become a priest. And one day I saw this with great clarity. It was like an inner illumination which brought with it the joy and the certainty of a new vocation. And this awareness filled me with great inner peace. Now, remember, the surroundings, as Cardinal Ratzinger said in his appreciation, was the history of flames and destruction. It's at the time he discovered his vocation that the Nazis were occupying Krakow. But he experienced that inner joy and certitude, an inner peace, because he was being called by Christ and trusted in Christ. And so he said, the day came when I knew for certain that my life would not be fulfilled in human love, the beauty of which I always felt deeply. So he saw a call to give up family life. And he appreciated its beauty, would often write about its beauty, but he was called to be one with Christ in the priesthood. And he then finally says, I, he owed a debt of gratitude to several priests who taught me in my youth to get close to Christ in his goodness and simplicity. And that priest said to John Paul, too, that is, Karol Wotiwa, Christ is calling you to the priesthood. And as we know, he entered the seminary but again, he, before getting to that story in Gift and Mystery, he did reflect upon the influence on his vocation. Most of all, the Polish heritage, which I've already mentioned. That the priest was a respected person in his culture. That Christ's presence permeated the culture. There was room for religion for Mass, for the bells of the Angelus, for the beautiful art that celebrated God's good creation and the redemption of man. Particularly, his family had an impact. His mother was deeply devout. He lost her at an early age, but it did make him sensitive to the feminine and to a love for Mary. The devotion to Mary looms very large in his vocation. He made the consecration to Mary through the true devotion to Mary as taught by Louis de Montfort, the great saint of the Marian devotion. He said that book opened his eyes to the importance of Mary, that Mary does not take us away from Jesus Christ, but brings us closer to Jesus Christ. He also learned from a layman, Jan Taranowski, the beauty of the rosary. This Polish man gathered the youth together to pray a living rosary in which he would assign each person to pray one of the decades, one of the mysteries during the day and then they would gather together, often in secret, to pray the rosary. So he was very devoted to Mary, and Mary led him into his vocation, and we'll have an opportunity to say more about his theology of Mary and devotion to Mary. He was very influenced by the saints, particularly John of the Cross, whom he went on to write his dissertation at the Angelicum, But he was attracted to the Carmelites and the mystical tradition of the church, so much so that he thought he wanted to be a Carmelite. But the Archbishop of Krakow said, Carol, I need you to assist me in the church in Krakow, which he responded to that call, but always retained that deep love of prayer. And union with God. He loves Saint John Vianney, the patron of priest. So you can see this is a vocation that arises out of mystery, but the influences point the direction for him to go. I should mention in particular that there was a brother, Albert, who was declared a saint, who was himself an artist and gave up his life as an artist to serve the poor as a Franciscan. How much that touched John Paul too he would later write a play entitled God's Only Brother. But let me read you this. He says, Who were my models? I owe much to St. Francis of Assisi, who did not think himself worthy of ordination, and to his Franciscan brother Albert Cimielowski, his most faithful disciple in my country. Brother Albert was responsible for a spiritual renaissance of Poland at the end of the last century. And what Albert did was make a radical choice without denying God's beauty or the talents he received, to give all to Christ, to witness before all to God's love. And that's what Holy Friar Albert did, was as a talented and cultured painter to break with his life of art because God was calling him to far more important task to devote himself to the poor. So, too, did John Paul II see, with all the great devotion he had to literature. He felt that detachment as he felt the joy of responding to the call of the priesthood. Now, that decision to enter the seminary, I had mentioned earlier, was a courageous act because it was a clandestine existence. Actually, at first, he would read theology books and metaphysics books as he worked in the quarry, and he always admired and respected the workers who saw that he had a greater call, and they would often let him go read for an hour and do his work for him for which he was ever grateful. He did his manly work there in the quarry, but the men insisted that he go do the reading he needs to do. That led to his later appreciation of solidarity, that men at work, men and women at work, should see themselves in a community of working together, not only for the common goal, but as human beings, who are caring for each other. He saw professors and priests arrested and deported. So he had a keen awareness of how fragile existence is, and and on the other hand, how important priests are, and professors, that the totalitarians, communists, and Nazis make a beeline for the priests and professors to exterminate them. Or put them in camps because they have an influence upon the youth because they carry the torch of truth they carry the torch for God so his heart was so warmed by this idea even in the threats that he would face of being arrested himself He saw firsthand, in this wartime experience, the depth of evil and the need for redemption. That'll be one of our lessons from Redemptor Humminus, why man needs a Redeemer. He saw it firsthand, not only in those small acts of evil and compromise, but on this massive scale that bordered on a demonic influence. And there's only one thing that can limit evil, he will later say. It's divine mercy. And it's the divine mercy we see of Jesus Christ on the cross, of the Redeemer of man, that he saw the need for Christianity, for a return to Christ and a preaching of Christ and Christ crucified. He also said during wartime he saw great sacrifice and generosity of people as well as the hand of divine providence, where often we cannot see what the outcome will be in the midst of such terrible things to hold on to the faith and hope and charity of those infused virtues given to us by the divine Redeemer. So who is a priest in chapter 8 of Gift and Mystery? He turns to 1 Corinthians 4, verses 1 to 2, where St. Paul says that he is the custodian of the mysteries of God. And that becomes the great theme for John Paul II to explain priesthood. A custodian one who guards, one who protects the mysteries of God. That obviously means primarily the sacraments. The sacraments are the mysteries, the signs of God's forgiveness and penance, the signs of God's real presence among us. But of course he means the mystery of God in the lived life of the church, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which is a gift to all believers from baptism, if we will but respond with faith and love and not cast out the guest, the Holy Spirit, with the Blessed Trinity. But make them a most welcome guest, a guardian of the mysteries of God, the custodian, He also describes the priesthood this way. It's a wonderful exchange that the priest makes with God by becoming another Christ. In persona Christi is the way the church explains the role of the priest, that the priest is another Christ. He acts in the person of Christ. This is the teaching of Vatican II. This is the teaching of the church, that the priest is another Christ. And so John Paul II says, there is no greater fulfillment of your humanity than to be a priest of the Catholic Church. You know, too often, I think, the whole vocational question is couched the wrong way. This is a fulfillment. It's not what you have to give up, he learned. It's what you receive. As our Lord said to his apostles, a hundredfold, those of you who have given up houses and family will receive a hundredfold. That is what John Paul II testifies in his own life at the 50th anniversary of his priesthood. Of course, at the center will be The Eucharist, the Eucharist, the priest in persona Christi, will offer the sacrifice, the one eternal sacrifice of the Son to the Father, by which we are redeemed, to serve the common priesthood of all. And he says, on the most humble church, the most humble country altar, which John Paul II said mass on as a priest in Poland. He said, you are on the altar of the world, at the altar of the world, offering back to the Father his good gifts and creation through Jesus Christ. Let me read you again from something on the Eucharist. He says, the priest is a man of the Eucharist, In the span of almost 50 years of priestly life, the Eucharist continues for me to be the most important and sacred of all moments. And what predominates for me is the knowledge that I celebrate at the altar in the person of Christ. Never have I missed the celebration of the most holy sacrifice. When I think of the Eucharist and look at my life as priest and as bishop and successor of Peter, I recall the many times and places that I have celebrated the Mass. He mentions, for example, in baseball stadiums, huge basilicas, but he says even that humble altar of a country church is the same offering, the same great reality, that is, The priest substitutes myself for Christ the priest so that even if I were not Pope, he says, my principal duty that he would love would be to preserve, protect, defend, increase, and deepen my aspirations to the good, the true, and the beautiful that you see in the sacrifice of the Mass. Along with that, he mentions in this book, the importance of confession, his devotion to St. John Vianney. He wrote a later apostolic exhortation on penance to show the importance of this sign of mercy in which each of us can make a personal encounter with God the Father who will forgive us through Christ like the prodigal son. That is the theme in redemptor hominess And then finally, priesthood, he says, stands for the redeemer of man and a new creation. The redeemer of man who has renewed the earth, who has renewed human nature. So again, redemptor hominess is about his priesthood or let's say rather, his meditation on Christ, the Redeemer of Man, is nurtured by his years as a priest who sees how Jesus Christ renews our life and can renew culture and ultimately will lead to a new heaven and a new earth. Now, in his own priestly ministry, he says in this book, he took on... A focus, first of all, to work with the youth and the education of the youth. To combat secularism and atheism. You know, when he was assigned his first duties at his parish in Krakow, in the diocese of Krakow, his pastor asked him to take over youth education, which he embraced wholeheartedly because he saw the communists were attempting to dominate education. So he taught them the truths of the faith about God, about the soul, about love. And he was always an educator. That's why we have these classes, in order to understand the teaching of this great teacher of the faith. He also was devoted, he said, to the family and fair love. He said the young yearn for love and for a fair love that is an honest love and yet our culture holds out to them such a debased meaning of love. The priest must always be working with the young couples and then families to sustain in this world the great sacrament of marriage as a sign of love and mercy. Third he was attracted to the ministry to workers, called to that because he was a worker. He saw the Polish workers being denied their rights and their dignity squelched. And as a pope, he traveled the world to be an advocate for the worker and the dignity and rights of work, as did Leo Thirteenth in his encyclical Rerum Novarum. A fourth area he saw his priestly vocation influencing was intellectual and cultural life. I mentioned as a priest and even as a bishop, he would go to the theater, wrote reviews anonymously, but would stand up for culture, would engage the universities, he would visit the Jagiellonian, he would discuss with the theologians, he would continue to work with the intellectual world and those who create culture. And then finally, he was one of the early advocates of lay apostolate, which flourished through Vatican II and through John Paul II's later exhortation on lay, the laity in the church. He worked with lay people to see how they could implement Catholic action or in other ways to expand their capacity to evangelize and to serve. He completes his meditation on his priesthood, outlining some of the features of the priest we need for the new millennium. And we know there are many young men who responded to the call for the priesthood. Because of the influence and inspiration of John Paul II, He will continue to inspire young men, I am sure, to enter the priesthood. And now that he is a saint, to intercede for us and for the church, to stir the hearts of the young men who can hear that call that the Lord may be giving to them. Here are some of the points he wanted to see with the priest. First of all, He said he would like to see these priests enter into the true meaning of the Second Vatican Council. I will discuss this in our next lesson, how important the Vatican Council is, again, not as bringing new doctrine or changes to the Church, but on John Paul II's interpretation, he was there and implemented this as a bishop, he said, Vatican II is about the deepening of our awareness of the truths of faith. It's about the subjective appropriation of faith. And that's why we needed the council and a renewal so that lay people can grow more deeply and priest and religious too in their awareness of the mystery of the church, the mystery of Christ, And again, his first encyclical is precisely to deepen our awareness of who Jesus Christ is and what he means for our life and for the life of the world. But he said, Vatican II is faithful to the truth and the tradition of the Catholic Church, so he wants priests who have fidelity to the tradition and its authentic interpretation through the authority of the church. Number two, he said, the priest should know what he has to offer to others. He says, man is thirsting for Christ, yearning for Christ. That's the theme of Redemptor Hominus, and I mentioned that in the talk on beauty and even the one on philosophy. Art and philosophy unleash a yearning. You know, Plato even talks about an eros for truth and wisdom. What should not stop or be satisfied until one finds Almighty God, until one sees Jesus Christ, the wisdom of God, until one has received the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. That is what the priest has to offer. In addition, he says, the priests should offer the Eucharist in penance because they give us divine mercy. Those are the two things, he says. I mean, in a way, it's simple but profound. If the priest knows men are thirsting for Christ and that the Eucharist and penance are sacraments by which we can receive that overflowing, Spirit of God and Witness and experience the mercy of God So John Paul II said priests you should become prisoners of the confessional like John Vianney they should line up You know when I visited Krakow I was impressed by how long the confessional lines are and I know it's not because Polish people are greater sinners than Americans but I do think there's a renewal of the sacrament I see throughout many parishes that people want to return to penance and confession. A third thing he mentioned is they need a good intellectual formation, and he specifically mentions here Thomas Aquinas. That Thomas Aquinas should be the foundation of the theological and philosophical training of the priest. Again, we have yet to catch up with John Paul II. Many seminaries are moving in this direction, but I think much more work is to be done, and certainly the universities still neglect and snub Thomas Aquinas, the great teacher of humanity and the common doctor of the church. They should be devoted to holiness and prayer. Obviously, that has to be essential to any priest. Prayer. He himself said prayer is the first task and first announcement of the Pope. It's the first condition of his service in the church and the world. Prayer is the first condition of freedom of the Spirit because it places man in a relationship with the living God. It gives a meaning to the whole of life at every moment and in every circumstances. All Catholics, all Christians called to holiness. The universal call to holiness must begin with prayer, but so must the priest particularly. And then he said, be faithful to your vows, just as we expect the married to be faithful to their vows. The last thing he mentioned is, The priest must live by the word of God and be a man of knowledge. He should have a personal and living experience of mystery. You see how these themes start to go together. A personal and living experience of mystery. To be an authentic witness to Christ. And I like this, he says, place holiness before program. Holiness before programs. Holiness is the first thing a priest should seek. And as that great teacher on the apostolate teaches in the soul of the apostolate, apostolate must be the overflow of interior life. So John Paul II modeled the priesthood, teaches the priesthood, lived the priesthood with great joy, And I think we'll see how important that is as we read Redemptor Hummus. We hope you enjoyed listening to Catholic Thinkers. Please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate to help us keep this content free.